heart sponsor for today is the 501c3 nonprofit National Treasures Artists in Residence. We are supporting them by offering an audience-requested master class on business plan writing. Over 30 days, you will receive daily emails with micro-tasks broken down over the month that will give you a complete plan. This will help you assemble your ideas, communicate your concept to others, and raise capital. Participants will be eligible for prizes that will help you polish your plan to optimize success. Visit AchievePodcast.com forward slash business plans with an S to register. The mind sponsor for today is upcoming podcast series, Personality Sleuths. Personality Sleuths will be co-hosted by Dr. J. Galen Buckwalter, whose career includes being the founding chief science officer of eHarmony and me, leveraging my experience as a venture capitalist and entrepreneur. We will analyze personality using a speech-based proprietary AI algorithm, along with the clues evident in social media and the popular press. Each episode will dissect the life of someone famous who gained the trust of many before becoming notorious for duping people, committing a crime, or losing exorbitant amounts of money, all while the clues were there all along in how they spoke. Tune in soon. On this episode, we have Bradley Bruce. Brad was born and raised in Calgary, Alberta. He was brought up in a challenging environment, having to grapple with his father's alcoholism until the age of 10 or 12, when his father became sober. Unfortunately, this had a lasting effect on Brad as he fell victim to the cycle of substance abuse as a young adult. Thanks to a teacher who showed exceptional concern, Brad was paired with a mentor who had a highly successful career in finance. Brad was saved when he emulated his mentor's footsteps, went through recovery, and launched a career in sales. He had a daughter after several years, but instability arrived once again when he lost his second daughter at childbirth. Brad migrated to Vancouver at that point, yet struggled, ultimately reaching the lowest point of his life. This woke him up to strive for a better path. Since then, he has built a highly successful sales and capital raising business. This has led to additional entrepreneurial endeavors. He most recently launched Warrior Mind Capital, a real estate and technology private equity investment fund. Brad, thank you so much for being on our show. Yeah, the pleasure's all mine. It's really great to have you. We've uh, been brought together by a mutual friend who has uh, become very dear to me. Uh, we'll give him a, a shout out, Akshay Gupta, uh, entrepreneur and art lover extraordinaire. And uh, he, he, I'm learning also, he tends to attract um, really phenomenal people. Um, and mm. so meeting you through him uh, just feels so so right and appropriate. Um, so again, uh, very grateful for this uh, newly formed bond. Absolutely, brother. And yeah, shout outs to, to Akshay as well. Uh, such a great soul as a young man and, uh, and such a great teacher, uh, which, is, which is really, mm. really awesome and very good connector. So uh, I'm very grateful as well. Yeah, no, well said. Fantastic. Um, so, Brad, I always like to start from uh, the very beginning. And um, I know that uh, you were born and raised in Vancouver, correct? Or no, actually uh, from uh, Alberta, the province yes. of Alberta. Unfortunately, Calgary, Alberta. Uh, much <laughs> later in life, they told me the best thing going for Calgary is a highway to Vancouver. So that's why I'm here now. But <laughs> yes, my early roots were, were in Alberta. Okay, well, I'm sorry for, for getting that wrong. Uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about um, growing up. So um, you have siblings, yes? I do, yeah. I have uh, a one brother um, and two half-sisters. 
And so predominantly in my household, it was my, myself, my, uh, my younger brother, who's three years younger than me, uh, my father, and my mother. Gotcha. Okay. And, um, what were some of the things that, um, you did for fun, for inspiration while growing up? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like every true Albertan, we were born with skates on our feet and a hockey stick in our hat. And that <laughs> was that was my life growing up or at the early ages. I mean, some of my, my fondest memories and some of my earliest memories were waking up with my father, uh, going to the ice hockey rink at five o'clock in the morning. I know my father was hating his life at that time because those are <laughs> for the young people. I was, I was five years old at the time. For the young folks, they get the yeah. worst ice times when it comes yeah. to practice. Yeah. So we yeah. get stuck with the 5 a.m. Uh, it was like a 45-minute drive from our home in one of those coldest arenas in, in the planet, I'm pretty sure. Uh, oftentimes, it was in you know, Alberta. It's like minus 50-degree weather uh, with where you can barely see in front of your windshield, uh, your windshield about a five-foot clearance because there's so much snow coming down. So that's what I, those were some of my memories in arriving to the, uh, the ice rink and, and lacing up. And, and so a lot of my fun at that time was wrapped around uh, the sport, which I, I grew to, to play all the way up until I was 17 years old. Wow, fantastic. And yeah, um, yeah. Um, were sports uh, your, your main activity other than school or yeah, let's say extracurriculars or did you read a lot? I always love to ask. Early on in, in life, mostly it was wrapped around sports and physical activity. I think my father uh, really pushed for me and both myself and my brother to be very actively involved in sports as our extracurricular activities. So gotcha. most of the time was spent in that in the in the winter months it was spent in hockey. In the summer months, I was playing either soccer or uh, or football um european football that is <laughs> and uh and as well as a bit of martial arts when i was a when i was a young man uh, so that oh, was nice. where what i'd spend most of my time and then i i was always a very social kid so i was always out, outside playing with my friends getting into all sorts of trouble that was <laughs> that's what i what i love doing outside of my, my you know hanging out doing sports nice well you know a euphemism for trouble is curiosity yeah, <laughs> so, I was very curious. Then. Very curious youth, like, um, oh, what happens if we do this? And uh, you found out. Uh, and, absolutely. Uh, sometimes yeah, the there were repercussions for for that knowledge. One thousand percent. I'm that kid when you tell him not to do something, he does it over and over again. So right. yeah. <laughs> that was uh, that was me as a young man. Yeah. Well, and. Um, I know you faced some challenges while, while growing up and you've spoken about this uh, at length and it's a, a big part of your um, uh, contribution back to the community. Um, please share with the audience um, what were some of the, the challenges that you faced? Yeah, absolutely. On the, on the outside, uh, life appeared really good. I mean, playing hockey, uh, had everything that I needed. Uh, but the inside of my house home, there was a lot of turbulent times. Uh, my father at that time was a alcoholic. And so he drank excessively. Uh, and he also had a really bad temper to go with it. Wow. And so during that time, when I was a young man from about the ages of, I'd say, my earliest memories around five years old, all the way up until about 12, uh, uh, 
10 to 12. My, my father during that period of time uh, was a, quite a violent man and as well as um, uh, a drink excessively. And so oftentimes we would go searching. My mom would wake us up at two, three o'clock in the morning, my brother and I, and we would go searching for my father, trying to figure out oh, where man. he was. Wow. Uh, so my mom would go hit all of the regular bars with us sure. in the back. And sometimes, like I said, it was like minus 20, 30, 40, 50, and leaving us in the back of the car while she goes and tries to drag out her husband um, to, to bring him home. And so I remember that happening very, very frequently. Um, I also, during that time, um, you know, because of uh, perhaps the influence of alcohol on my father, uh, the temper was always a really big thing for him. And so yeah. that got brought out onto to myself and my brother sure. uh, often. And so to the yeah. point where now I've been diagnosed with uh, childhood complex post-traumatic stress disorder from oh, some wow. of the, the, the violent behavior my father bestowed upon me. And so I remember there was times, yeah, thank you. I remember those times when, um, you know, I'd be going to school and I'd be planted on my chair and I couldn't even sit in my chair because my body was black and blue and I had cuts, literal lacerations on my body. And so it wasn't a lot of fun time. Now I will say this, my father has since, he, uh, you know, as soon as I hit about 10 or 12, I can't remember what, what year he quit drinking and now he's become wow a fantastic father and somebody yeah. I really look up to and admire. So it did eventually turn around and we could get that into, into that a little bit later. Yeah, no, I think that's um, really significant. And I mean, I want to stay focused with you, Brad, but um, just the emotions that you went through uh, growing up. And um, I, I imagine there's probably a period of time where you were not communicating with your father and then the reconciliation and then your role in his um, recovery uh, in, in many ways, um, that would be uh, amazing to chat about. But um, let's stay with this thread of, of you. And um, uh, so 10, 12 um, was kind of the height of it. And then it, 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 it sounds like it curtailed at that point. Um, but then you're in middle school, effectively, um, probably sixth, seventh grade. And then, so, uh, you know, guide us from there through high school and then what happened beyond. Yeah. So, you know, think, thankfully the, the abuse and the, the alcoholism stopped at that age, but the scars mm -hmm. were just starting to form and have formed and have dug really deep trenches into me. So for me, middle school. Uh, how I integrated that, uh, those, those lessons and, and those hardships was to act out. That was my way of, of being able to process whatever trauma that I was dealing with at that time. And what that meant for me is a number of things. So during my adolescence, I acting out looked at being the class clown was one of the ways that I would act out in, in order to get the attention that I really wanted. And and that I really wanted to, to feel that attention from somebody. And so I acted out a lot as a class clown, always trying to seek attention. That was a, a big part of uh, you know, who I was at that time and my identity. Uh, number two was, is I also started at that point, you know, around that 12, 13, I started to come and find myself uh, becoming a lot more aggressive. And so, uh, you know, call it learned behavior, whatever it was, that this is how I deal with life problems is through aggression. Uh, 
And so uh, I was also playing hockey at the time. So uh, naturally, I mean, yeah. uh, hockey is like, um, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it, yeah. it does, it breeds violence, yeah. you know, so yeah. that's, that's it. It's the Canadian daycare. I mean, we, we, uh, we, <laughs> we just beat the crap out of each other. I mean, that's, right. that's uh, right. hockey. That's hockey. Right. So I had this outlet to be able to do that, which was a safer outlet, but then it also ha- started happening in school right around that time as well, where I started uh, engaging into a little bit more of aggression, uh, both to the students and teachers. Uh, hmm. So that's how it started forming in those early, those early yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ex- exceptionally challenging. And of course, as you talked about uh, learned behavior, um, you, you had a lot to struggle with and, and, and you didn't really have an outlet to kind of resolve it or, or, or grapple with it. So um, it, it's, it's um, you know, it kind of makes sense that um, that is what happened. But of course, living through it was, was exceptionally challenging for you. Um, what happened after you finished high school? Yeah, well, in between that, like the the you know getting into from from middle school into into high school, this was a really pivotal point in my in my personal life. Mm-hmm. And so uh, during that time, is I started acting out that sort of thing, and then, that just never seemed to be enough. Uh, right around fourteen years old is when I tried alcohol for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. Right at that moment, when mm-hmm. I was intoxicated. Um, I found my new best friend. I found the thing that was going to give me the confidence that I needed. It gave me the sense of, of peace and ease and comfort. I don't know how else to d- describe it. And it made me feel on fire for life. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I right at the very first time that I ever drank alcohol, there's a crazy story behind this, which I won't get it too, uh, too deep into. <laughs> I, I, I just to say, I ended up in the hospital with hypothermia, oh, blood no. alcohol poisoning, oh, and man. almost literally died. Um, oh. And it was a pretty intense, uh, uh, intense experience. And so, well, you know, we, we could just say you were just defining your upper limit. Exactly, and it was a pretty big bar. Established, (laughs) it was pretty pretty up there. So stay below that. Exactly, and you think that this would discourage a young man from 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 drinking again? Typically, that's what it does. Yeah, usually that's what happens. It's that one and done. You know, I'm never going to get drunk again. For me, it's just like you know, off the races. And so, from 14 to 16 to 17, 18, those years, that's when things started to get in really really intense for me by time from 14 years old to 17 years old i was arrested over 35 times i spent most of my life most of my teenage years in in uh uh, juvenile detention centers and group homes for kids that were at risk or troubled um i was a kid that your parents told you to stay away from i became increasingly more violent i became increasingly more aggressive uh the things that i do is getting more intense and intense uh, my family didn't know what to do with me. Nobody knew what to do with me. Nobody knew what was going on with me. At the time, uh, you know, the, the trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder and, and all these things were just not a common thing. And so yeah. dealing with an adolescent that had these issues, it was just this, this kid is deemed as a bad kid and we're, gonna, we're, we're just going to lock him away and that's going to be good for him. But nobody yeah. really understood the, the causes of what was, what was happening for me. Right. Nobody yeah. took the time or to do to, to actually 
to, to, to do that. And so here I am just thinking I'm this bad, awful kid that's being marginalized and put into this bubble. And that was it for me. This is who I'm going to be for the rest of my life. It got so bad to the point when I was about 17 years old, the, um, uh, officers, uh, um, not officers, uh, the ones that are, uh, in the jail, um, yeah, officers, but you know, the corrections officers, yeah, CEOs, yeah, correct. Exactly. Correction officers, uh, they, they had a running tally on who was going to spend the rest of their life in bars, who's going to uh, go transition from being a juvenile delinquent to, to, to being what they call a lifer. And they told me I was one of them, I was one of the kids that was going to be spending the rest of his life behind bars, and they all had bets placed against me. And so oh that was one of the early seeds in my life during yeah. that time when I was like, oh, okay, that doesn't sound very good. And I yeah. probably yeah. don't want to be that. The right. second thing that happened just right around that time is I was still in high school. wasn't doing very well in high school. Uh, I was kept on getting kicked out and held back grades and all that nonsense. Um, one teacher took a very kind liking to me and she was one of the first people in my life to um, say there's something going on behind the scenes here because this is a good kid. There's no such wow. thing as a bad kid. There's something behind the scenes here that's happened that's causing Bradley to act this way. And wow. so she, what she did, she took it upon herself to find me a mentor. And Amazing. this mentor was an investment banker, very successful yeah. guy, had the Ferrari, had the <laughs> you know private uh, private club membership, had the massive house in Alberta. And it was one of the early seeds planted in me that I could have something more mm. and that I can have this type of lifestyle. Yeah. And so wow. that, that was a common with the combination of these, uh, uh, correction officers saying to me at the time that you could spend the rest of your life behind bars. I was like, okay, which one seems like to be the better yeah. path for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was, that was kind of the, the early stages of me wanting to do something a little bit better with my life and planting those little or those early seeds. But during that time, I caused a lot of chaos and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of trouble. And, and, and yeah, it just kind of set the tone for, for my life during that time. Yeah. yeah. No, it's incredible. I mean, uh, all, all the strife you had, it, um, I mean, it kind of makes sense that um, this was the, how you were grappling with it in many ways. And, uh, you know, 35 times arrested between 14 and 17, that's like once a month. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. When I think about it, it's just like a, it's like a movie. It's a movie playing that I don't even resonate with anymore because I can't see myself as that. But yeah, it was yeah. uh, it was pretty intense moments for me. So this mentor that you um, had was was that what shifted things where um, you weren't putting yourself in as vulnerable a position to uh, to do with you know, the uh, uh, criminal uh, charges and all that. Yeah, it was it was one of the, the things that started the path of me doing something different. Uh, mm. When I was 16, 17 years old, I was also in a group home around that same time as well for at risk troubled youth. Um, okay, the, okay. The, the court system just had enough of me and they didn't want to, they felt like putting me in prison was just 
not going to be the best thing for me. I'll probably turn out worse. So they put me in a group homes to try to get rehabilitation where I did get some therapy. I did get some uh, early exposure to recovery from, from alcoholism um, and started that process. And so that was another <laughs> catalyst at that time that was really helpful. Now, back then the services for adolescents just were not where it is today. And so, um, it's, it was really difficult for, for them to diagnose and to figure out what was going on with me and all that stuff. It was, it was a really difficult process. Another thing that I found out during that time, and we could talk about a little bit more what I do with youth today, is that transition from 17 to 18 to adulthood, but when you're deemed an adult when you turned 18. In, during the time in Alberta specifically, uh, when you turn from 17 to 18, there's no transitional services. And so it's basically you're left to your own. Here you're on the, you're on your own. We've got, done as much as we possibly yeah. can with yeah. you. Now you're adult. Now you have to fend for yourself. So that was my my process was okay. Where do I go from here? I wish that I, I wish that the system was a little bit different back then because I feel like I, it would it would have been a, a quicker ride for me to get myself to a place where I was secure and confident as a man and more importantly healed, but it wasn't that case. So mm -hmm. I still, after, after all of that, when I transitioned into adulthood, um, there is still so much work that needed to be done and so much unhealed trauma and so much. And I just couldn't get the services as an adult because most of the therapy during that time uh, was, was highly expensive. Uh, sure. and I yeah, wasn't covered under uh, exactly. And I wasn't covered under insurance. So it mm. was, uh, it was a really tough time for me just yeah. early, early, you know, from between 18, I'd say 20 years old, I was still acting the same way, uh, mm. just a little bit differently. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, so maybe toned down a bit, maybe not as excessive, but, um, yeah, still the absolutely. propensity to, to engage was, was there, which actually makes complete sense. Definitely. But then there was um, this, there was this moment where, uh, you know, I, uh, myself and my girlfriend at the time, uh, she was pregnant. And mm. so I said to myself, you know, what kind of father do I want to be? Mm. And at that moment, um, this was a another kind of pivotal moment of me saying, you know, I want to do something really, really different. So I actually started really engaging again and in, back into therapy, getting myself well, starting the healing process, mm -hmm. uh, started my sales, uh, my sales career right around that same time, my professional sales career as well. I was selling uh, at the time I was selling timeshares. Um, okay. And so I was making a lot of money. I was the number one salesperson. Within six weeks, I was promoted to assistant sales manager. Wow. Um, I think I was making Amazing. about a couple hundred thousand dollars a year at that time. Uh, back yeah. then, that was a lot of money. And I was doing really, really well for myself. And uh, and so that was that was kind of the transition of me going into this other, this new version of who I was and what I could have. And so um, that was, uh, you know, my daughter being born was one of those moments that really made me want to, to, to work hard on, on who I was as a man. Amazing. Um, and I, I love the way you frame that. So this, this shift in terms of uh, your priorities and then of course, behavior um, seems largely driven by becoming a parent. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's really a great motiv motivational factor. And at the time it was one of the biggest motivators for me is to do really well. Wow. No, that's phenomenal. Well, and so 
you've had this realization and you want to be there for your your daughter it's a daughter right yes yeah um and so, so how do you change your life how do you shift and, and then and what do you what do you do yeah initially it was a combination of therapy uh, because i had addiction issues as well as an alcoholic a recovered mm-hmm. alcoholic uh, for me it was 12 step meetings that was the basis of of my recovery journey at that time wow. and so i really focused on that uh, i put that first uh and i think it was sober for a year or two uh, and that was kind of the catalyst that, that helped me really kind of get that tra- trajectory of, of staying this course. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, right around that same time, um, I had a, um, I think it was about a year after my daughter was born, uh, I was pregnant again. And this time it went a little bit differently. And mm-hmm. during birth, my, uh, my unborn child uh, passed away uh, during the mm. birthing process. And so mm-hmm. it was a so really sorry, hard time. Thank you, my friend. It was a really hard time for us and it especially affected me greatly. And so uh, it was a, a very emotional time and I really didn't have the wherewithal to experience really high emotional states like this. I was sure. not prepared. And so it took me to a very, very dark place yeah, uh, where I did end up relapsing again. And it, 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 that kind of went down to another, another really dark hole for myself where, uh, you know, I, I, I felt guilty. I felt like it was my fault and all sure. sorts of things. So, and, and because we didn't know what, what happened, uh, right. the doctors can't explain this stuff. It yeah. drove me absolutely yeah. crazy and filled me with rage. Of course, so. of course yeah. yeah. Well, and uh, completely understandable. Um, when we don't, we don't have a sense of what's going on that, uh, that definitely impacts us. And, um, so you had been sober for a, a brief period of time, yes. uh, prior to, um, um, the, this event. And then after that, uh, there was a, a relapse. I mean, it, it's these significant life events that are often the, the triggers. So they are, yeah. Very hard to I'm, deal with. I mean, just even even yeah. every individual has a, a really hard time dealing with with uh, with trauma as well as grief. I mean, it's something that's really difficult to to deal with, and we all deal with it in different ways. For me, yeah. my crutch has always been alcohol and drugs. Yeah. For others, yeah. it might be you know shopping or overeating or whatever the sure. case may be. Yeah. For me, that we, was we it. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, really uh, incredible that. Uh, you went through this. Um, uh, I was just curious about um, uh, the episode. Um, once this happened with uh, with your daughter, um, like, what did life look like at that time, and uh, how long before you became, you know, sort of came, uh, got your sobriety again? Mm, yeah, it was a dark time. It lasted a very long time. I wish mm. it was like brief and, you know, here we go uh, and, and back at her. But it lasted many, many years uh, of me being out on the streets. And uh, wow. yeah, it was uh, it was a brutal time. You know, it was, uh, I, I went from alcohol to f- finding uh, in my uh, mid 20s ish, 23, 24, I can't remember the exact year uh, to finding drugs. And uh, that was a, a big turning point for me as well. And, to, and it's something that I never, in a million years, thought I'd ever 
do. I always frowned upon people that took drugs. I, I, I you know, really criticized them and said this would never be me. It was the athlete in me saying that you know, I could never do something like this. And then when I got introduced to cocaine, it was a, it was a hell of a drug, as they say, and it really took me through the ringer. And so it took me to places from, you know, it, I lost everything. You know, I lost absolutely everything. Lost a car. Lost, you know, my uh, place I was living. I, I just, I lost everything. I was essentially homeless, couch surfing at that time. And so uh, that's that's where that led me. It was a, it was a very very low bottom. It lasted many many years. I eventually decided that I wanted to do a geographical cure. You know, moving to Vancouver at that time is it was going to save my life. And so I was 27 years old, and I was, uh, you know. Uh, said, I'm going to pack up everything and I'm moving. And so, but the thing is, wherever you go, there you are. And so, (laughs) you know, and so just changing locations, is going to change what's going on inside me. Yes, it got me a little bit further away from, you know, influences or exactly, but friendships that were not so conducive to your sobriety yeah. exactly and i was really upset when i found out they had drugs in vancouver so, <laughs> so that, why don't they advertise this exactly. stuff it's yeah. like that should I'm be on a website away. or something exactly. yeah. and so as i sit here in my uh, in my condo in Yaletown, i could literally oversee the downtown east side which is mm-hmm. one of the, the toughest places on earth when it comes to drugs and that's where yeah. i ended up I ended up doing drugs behind dumpsters, sleeping overnight, you know, in the streets and, uh, but living in a, in a condo in the downtown core at the time, because I was actually, uh, you know, had a pretty good job at the time as well. And so I was living this double life and eventually I lost all of that as well. And I got to this place where I was literally about to spend, uh, it looked like I felt like I was on that, that verge of like staying homeless probably forever. And, uh, you know, being a street person and all that stuff. And so it was really, really devastating. And there was a a, a moment there uh, where I just simply gave up. I did not want to live. I felt like I had nothing to live for. I felt hopeless. I felt like I had nothing. And I also felt at the time everyone abandoned me, which was not true. And so um, in that state... in that giving up place, I decided to take my own life. And so I hung myself. I had no idea. I I hung myself in a bathroom. And by the grace of God, whatever is out there saving that that saved me, I it was not successful. By whatever it means. And I don't know why. I don't still to this day I don't know what happened. I know that I was unconscious, hit the floor woke up and there I was with given a second chance. Amazing. Wow. With that second chance, I got onto my knees. I said, okay, there must be something much bigger for me here. That some, yeah. I, I, the, the, there was this overwhelming feeling and this energy yeah. that was around me that I can't explain that the message was there, there's something bigger here for you. There's something that you were meant to do. And I asked myself, is there something bigger than, than, than this? If there's a, a divine purpose in my life, what is it? Mm-hmm. I've seen hell. I've seen the gates of hell. I've seen the, mm-hmm. what the lowest of, of what life has to offer. So what does the heaven on earth look like? What does it look like to, have, to, to be successful in all areas of my life? I asked myself that question. And if that's the bar 
if that's the bar to be successful in all areas of your life, because you've seen the opposite of that, what do I do to do, do, do? What do I need to do in order to, to get there? Yeah. And that was my mission after that point. After I dusted myself off, I checked myself into rehab, I got myself well, and I embarked on a journey that was forever going to change the course of my life. During that time, a lot of awful things happened. I lost a lot of friends. My best friend passed away. Hmm. Uh, you know, uh, my, uh, my grandma later uh, died, you know, basically in my arms. Uh, There's a oh, lot gosh. of adversity that I had to go through during that, that time as well. Um, and then a number of, of, of oper- a number of people being that when you're in recovery and when you're in addiction, you see a lot of people overdose and die, unfortunately. Yeah, and so yeah, that was another big thing that I had to go through and hurdles over, over the course of those, those next years. But that yeah. was, that was this, that was the chance. This was the, the place where I was going to spend my life striving for that new goalpost. And so I went on a journey and a mission and a hunger and a thirst that has never stopped. And it's been my rocket fuel ever since. Yeah, that's uh, phenomenal. And um, I just wanted to take a moment to reflect on how um, a a lot of people say, myself included, that um, probably the worst thing to experience is surviving a child. And um, so you had to grapple with that and it, it makes complete sense that it um, uh, kind of turned your world upside down. Um, but I think it's so telling and so significant that after you hit the lowest point and this failed suicide attempt um, in your path to recovery, you had equally difficult experiences and challenging times, but that didn't, uh, deter you off your track and uh you kind of sort of maintained and stayed there and i think that uh takes a tremendous amount of strength and i just want to be sure to acknowledge that and mm-hmm. and and say congrats that's uh that takes some doing that takes a lot of effort it shows the, the person that you are and i'd also like to ask brad you know have you forgiven yourself for what's happened in the past because what? oftentimes people don't you're very right on that. And 1000%. I don't think I'd be here if I, if I, if I didn't. And so that's one of the hardest things is I could forgive others. Uh, I could get that place of forgiving others, but it's the internal forgiveness. It's the hardest thing to that's do. Right. You exactly. know, shame runs our, our tape sometimes and runs so in the background of conscious, unconscious messages. Uh, you know, I'm never good enough. I'm a loser and blah, yeah. blah, blah, and this and that. And so it's, it's, Sometimes, oftentimes the bedrock and the foundation of who we are uh, during those moments. But, you know, in the discovery and in the work is that true love and care for ourselves, where now our mess has become our message. So all oh, that so well stuff that I've done became my yeah. message and my hope. And, and what I've, and then it also helped me enable me to find what my divine purpose is. My divine purpose is to save as many youth as I possibly can because I was there, right? So you identify with them and their plight, yeah, what they're going absolutely. through. So how can mm-hmm. I be shameful and not forgive myself when now I get this unique ability to use my message and my voice to the people who feel that they don't have one. And yeah. so, yeah, it took a lot of hard work, a lot of therapy, um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of bouts at rehab, uh, a ton of experience with uh, with uh, different groups that I'm involved yeah. with to get to the place where I felt healed 
Uh, it was years and years and years in the making. And well, that, makes... uh, that self-forgiveness, I, I would say, was, was probably one of the most difficult parts. Mm. And I still, there is parts of me that struggle with that today where I still, still do have some shame messages that happen in, internally. Sure. Uh, yeah. But I mean, it's so mute now that uh, it, I don't feel like it runs my life anymore. Good, good. Well, and that suggests that it did at a time and it's often a rut that uh, people get into. Um, but again, um, what you had to suffer through is something so few people have to um, endure and uh, again I, I found that I, I felt a little challenged talking about it for a moment uh, in our conversation it uh, kind of got to me emotionally and uh, couldn't find my words because <laughs> again I just I feel that being a parent um, that that is really the worst thing so um, I'm glad you've forgiven yourself about that and that episode and have dealt with the feelings of guilt which are perfectly natural but um, you know not appropriate really because you had no control over that it wasn't negligence on your part it was completely out of your hands um yes. and uh you know I, I you leapt forward a little bit i love how you are giving back but let's bridge that for our audience um you come out of this uh really dark period and you've become exceptionally successful to be in a position to to give back to struggling youth that you identify with uh, as, as, as having been there. So um, guide us through uh, those various steps, Brad. Yeah, I mean, uh, once, uh, once I felt healed, I mean, uh, part of the recovery process and part of uh, being in recovery is, is being of service to others. And so fundamentally, that's what they share in the recovery community is now once I've recovered from alcohol and drugs. Mm -hmm. It's my duty to pass that on to somebody else. And so uh, that's been instilled in me for, for, you know, many, many years now. And uh, I, I initially it was me uh, doing that with other men uh, is, is helping them uh, go from a place of where I was to, um, to, to sober and, and productive lives. And peers, so, basically. Yeah, exactly. Working as what they call a sponsor in the 12 step movements. Sure. Uh, yeah. And so that was, that was initially what it was. Um, but I also always had an affinity for youth and, uh, and I truly believe, uh, my true belief is if we save our youth, we save this world. Us adults are a little bit harder to mold, uh, whereas, uh, you know, youth and kids, they still have a, a lot of life ahead of them. But most importantly, they're, they're a little bit easier to, to work with in terms of just brain neurology. And so uh, I, at the time, I, I, I really wanted to, to, to build a, uh, a center for youth, uh, specifically a treatment facility, for them to get the help necessary help that they need because they're wow. they're underserved, and uh, I, I really, I really, it was something that I really wanted to work towards. That's and I do a lot of public speaking. Uh, I, again, I said, like I said before, my master came my message. So I wanted to be in front of people and sharing mm -hmm. my story and sharing, uh, uh, ending the stigma 
behind mental health and addiction specifically because there still is a very big stigma out there. And so mm-hmm. at one of the events when I was speaking to parliament and MLA and first responders, sharing my story about how I overcame, but most importantly, the changes that need to be made on how uh, individuals are met with by first responders, uh, police, fire, ambulance, and how they're dealt with at that at that. Uh, at those early stages. Mm-hmm. And so one lady came and she heard my talk and she's with an organization called Dan's Legacy. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, I loved hearing your talk. And I think that you would be a fantastic mentor and a fantastic advocate for us. And she said, I really want to see if we can work together. And initially it was because I'm also a very prominent businessman in Vancouver now as well with robust connections. Initially, uh, she re- she knew that I was very connected as well. Initially, we talked about you know me helping the foundation in terms of uh, bringing on board fundraising, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then also she really wanted me to help volunteer my time and energy and effort within the organization. So uh, at first it was just, uh, working with them in both raising some capital and, and bringing in the fundraising dollars. And then number two, it was uh, serving them every Sunday. I, I go there and I serve them food uh, and as well as put together grocery hampers for, for them. So I still do that to this day. But it, then it started to evolve into more and more. And so I became a mentor for a lot of these youth. Uh, and then I started, uh, I started a fitness program with another, with one of their therapists, uh, to mm-hmm. get them involved in th- fitness where we mentor them and get them fit at the same time. Incredible. Amazing. And so That's this organization amazing. that the, it just, it was just so amazing being able to work with them and mm-hmm. donate my time, my money, uh, my energy to this, this wonderful organization that helps so many youth. And so that's, that's what where we're at here today. And that was what got me into helping youth. And, and now that's my mission. I mean, that's, that's my driving force. That's something I want to spend the rest of my life doing. Yeah. Well, I think again, it's just exquisite the way you give back and just how much energy you put into it. Um, you know, it's, it's somebody for somebody who is saved, um, like you're in the best position to be able to give that to somebody else. And, uh, I just think it's extraordinary. It's a real testament to your to your character, Brad. And uh, I'm sure you hear the gratitude a lot, but I also would like to extend my thanks and saying, you know, it's uh, it's great how much you're giving of yourself. Oh, thank you, brother. It's 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 needed. And if more of us yeah. step up in the community to especially to work with the youth, uh, I mean, we could save and impact a lot of lives. When it comes yeah. to at risk and troubled youth, the statistics. When you look at the statistics, the raw statistics. It is overwhelmingly low of how many survive through all of this stuff. And it's getting better because of um, the awareness. It's getting better because there's a lot more programs and services out there that that we didn't have back in my day. And so we're moving forward, but there's still so much more work to do. And uh, so I, I'm just going to continue to advocate. I'm going to continue to bust my butt to make a real difference here. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Um, you talked about becoming a prominent Vancouver businessman. Um, guide us through through that experience because um, you know uh, you're coming through the these challenges you had as a youth, the foster home system. Um, 
a suicide attempt and and then you find a purpose and a calling that gets you through that but um you know i I think it's it's fascinating and it can be hugely inspirational for our audience to hear um how your business career developed to to get to where you are today yeah i never thought in years i'd make it to to where i'm at today uh i was you know in in high school yearbook i would have been deemed least likely to succeed literally (laughs) or most likely to 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 be in prison forever that's you know so for me to be in this position is just it's uh, every day i wake up i feel so so blessed um when you get second chance i mean you just don't take it for granted when you when you uh, face your own mortality uh, man, it changes everything. So, um, I always had this vision for my for my life. Even when I was a, a, a young man, uh, even in my teenage years, I knew. I think it's because that one man planted that seed early on. That mentor planted that seed early on that this is the life that you could have. And so, I always had that vision in my mind of, mm-hmm. hey, man, I could have the country club. I can be this. And I. It's funny that now I'm in financial services, following his path. But, you know, I. I, I knew that, that there's something much bigger there, but I just, right. I, I always had these messages saying that I'd never, never get this. I never amount to it. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so um, initially it was just, I got really engaged my sales career. I started uh, off in timeshare sales, that transitioned into a career in real estate, uh, which I was really good at. Um, uh, mostly what I was focused on was new construction and new development in Alberta. Got to sell out some communities there, did really, really well. Uh, climb our way out to um, uh, area sales manager for some predominant uh, builders out there. Uh, even worked my way all the way up to a vice president position of a multinational really? company and huh. uh, moved to China. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Moved okay. to China, had a really big, uh, a big uh, a career life there. And uh, in, in the real estate development side of business, yeah. when I was in China, I got to see the other side of the business, which was the mm. what what makes these big deals happen, and sure. these large investments and these large investment dollars moving around. It was is really crazy to see. When I when I came back from China, I actually started consulting, and I got into consulting. And uh, during that time, I I didn't have a lot of experience in tech. I worked for a couple of tech companies. Uh, as a sales manager and I transitioned for that into a career as a consultant and I I landed in consultancy for technology companies at that time and so I spent a a good amount of years focused on that my my uh, areas of expertise or my superpowers have always been in sales and marketing so those are the areas that I focus on with those companies Mm -hmm. helping them through growth stages getting to the place where they can uh you know, get in more investment, et cetera. During that time as well is, is naturally what I found was, is being connected to founders across North America, working in the startup mm. community. Now you're starting to really understand uh, the back end as well, the, uh, the finances. The, every company that I worked with had two things in common. Number one is they all needed capital. Number two, they all had an exit strategy. So I needed to learn this stuff. And initially, because I was so connected, everybody wanted to be my friend, uh, wow. especially venture capital firms, especially <laughs> investors, especially wow. private equity companies, because I could play matchmaker. And that's what I was doing at the time. I was just playing matchmaker, just making the two happen. I had no clue that there was you know, a lot of money to be involved here. Right, I, was just exactly. doing, I was just being friendly and saying, hey, just similar to our friend, actually, just being a connector. Right. And so, uh, 
that's what I did as I was a connector. And I realized quickly how lucrative a space this was. It's like, wait a moment. There's millions and billions of dollars being, being uh, you know, in, in, the, in the capital markets. It's time for me to, to maybe take a look at that. So mm-hmm. I met the partners right around that same time. They were raising capital at a very large level. Uh, they've already raised $200 million and uh, they're, they're fundraising consultants. Uh, that was their, their role. And so I said, you know what? I want you to teach me what you know about private equity and teach me what you know and i will be the basis of supplying you off-market deal flow and so because i'm so connected and that's what i did i just started that process not knowing that i was ever going to get into this world at the time i was still consulting and and just i have clues about financial services i do not have a financial background i'm terrible at math so you know it was was a very interesting place for me to be at um and during that time we raised some significant amount of money uh, I then decided to go off on my own and create the brand Warrior Mind, uh, Warrior Mind Capital. Now, Warrior Mind is I truly uh, resonate deeply with the warrior ethos. Uh, the warrior that is the, the um, oh, my dog's making noises in the background. <laughs> uh, my, feeding, the, feeding time, maybe? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I really deeply resonate with the warrior ethos. And so we brought yeah. that concept into, into our, our brand. Uh, we brought the ethos in of the value systems of what the warrior brings. And so uh, we created it myself and my partner, who's also my life partner, her name is Bruna, created a family mm. boutique uh, private equity company uh, where we serve, our, serve the community by bringing uh, capital investments. Uh, we wow. mainly focus in two areas because that's my areas of expertise real estate and uh, technology companies and we raise capital for, for those companies we're yeah. also starting our very first fund in q1 of 21 uh, 2021 uh mm-hmm. the first warrior mind fund which we're very very excited um and so that's that's uh, what's next for us but yeah what a what a roadmap and now we i mean on i think we have well over a billion dollars of, of funding needs uh oh. for 2021 uh, that we're going to secure in in this year. So uh, I, I'm just so blessed to be in this position. Never in a million years thought I was ever going to be here, but here I am. <laughs> right. uh, it's a, an extraordinary story. Um, all that you've built and um, have kept going on with. Um, again, these are not um, easy areas to become a master in. And you really have uh, attained a fair amount of mastery in the in these areas, and so uh, congrats on the, the the fund. I know how challenging that can be, and uh, how difficult it is to to raise it. So I think that's really exceptional. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, gosh, you should just. Uh, I mean, I, I feel proud just hearing the story, knowing you. I mean, like the, the pride you should feel is really obviously exponentially larger than that, but uh, yeah, it, it's incredible what you're able to achieve. Thank you, brother. This is a, you know, it's uh, it's been a crazy journey. I went from being yeah. a, a hopeless dope fiend for being a dopeless hope fiend. And <laughs> here I am, you know, given, getting to live my dream life, being, you know, give back to my community, uh, being able to provide for my family, uh, things that I never just, and even simple things that I never ever thought I'd be able to do on a day-to-day basis. And, um, and so I just, I feel just incredibly blessed. And part of, part of, you know, being successful is having really good people by your side. 
and you know guys like you have seen guys like Akshay guys that are, are are part of my core tribe uh all of the wonderful people to make this I, I've been really good at lever leveraging other people yeah. that's been like the, nice. the key to my success yeah. <laughs> it's almost like leveraging other people's success which is right. uh it's just really which has really been the the foundation of to help me get to this place yeah. so yeah. I'm just so thankful and blessed I want to give a shout out to my team and all the people that support me uh it's without them none of this would exist wonderful no and you clearly have a great team and um I just again I, I come back to the fact that uh, you're, you're putting so much effort into giving back and trying to help other disadvantaged youth uh, and I think that's it's really exceptional um, with work like that that's when we can get to some real healing and yeah. positivity in terms of outcomes and, and long-term quality of life Absolutely. It also keeps keeps me in, in that healing journey with mm -hmm. when I'm doing it with them, you know, I'm working with these youth, I'm working with individuals that are you know, going from very, very dark places. And, and uh, you know, it's it's really, it, it helps me so much. Uh, and it's it's just, it's really cool to be able to see someone go from, you know, when you look in their eyes, their lights are, aren't on. They're just right. not on, exactly. you know, they're, yeah. you can see it. And to go from a place from, working with them for a number of months to see that light that spark start that is oh giving me goosebumps all over my arm right now that mm -hmm. that piece right there is is i can i'm speechless <laughs> it's the most incredible <laughs> experience somebody yeah. can ever feel yeah yeah no it's so true uh, i've been through that uh, and and i would completely agree um brad what, what does the future hold for you what uh, uh do you have some, some goals that you state mm. publicly or some milestones you're eager to hit yeah absolutely i mean business wise uh, i want to get the position where we have multiple funds where we're you know uh, our our funds are well over a billion dollars so i mm. can step into my divine purpose and so that's mm. my pathway right now is getting to the place where uh, raising money for other people, we'll raise money internally, we'll have those funds be able to secure us for a legacy. And so uh, for generations to come. So that's, mm. that's the next path for Warrior Mind Capital. Right. Now, what that's going to enable me to do is go out there and go save lives. And so my bigger goal is I do want to uh, start a, a addiction center here in in vancouver mm -hmm. uh, that's that's one of the next goals for uh for you specifically uh mm -hmm. i we might also consider doing one for adults uh, because there's not enough bed space uh, for mm. people that have addiction issues or mental health issues we're mm -hmm. at an extreme shortage sometimes there's often a two to three month wait list just to get in now you think mm -hmm. about once somebody decides that they want to get the, the help that they want they have to wait three months to get in <sighs> They end up killing themselves, the momentum, literally. Yeah, yeah they yeah, lose their well, momentum, they go right back. Yeah. So it's it's More, it's yeah. terrible. So that's one of the bigger focuses, my bigger mm -hmm. goals is to is to start that. Uh, I also want to start a um, at-risk youth program myself to mentor them to become business people. Uh, wow. Yeah, so uh, that's one thing that you don't see a lot of going through yeah. the stages. Um, I, I mean, in, just from high school age, you don't see these kids uh, doing a lot going into technology, like starting tech companies, that sort of thing. So I really want to help enable them the skills, to start a tech company. So what, me, uh, along the lines of an incubator for at-risk youth, get them off the yeah. streets, out of gangs, and get them into something that's purposeful. 
No, it's extraordinary. Well, and, and even um, maybe they haven't been able to acknowledge or find out that they have engineering talent, but yes. exposure, I mean, even as simple as exposure, like what you had growing up when you had this mentor that showed you the possibility of transactions and business and how you can uh, increase uh, value or create value. Um, you needed that to know what um, a possibility could be because that wasn't on your radar screen prior to that. And so you're yeah. giving that to these kids is tremendous. It's really extraordinary. Thank you, brother. So that's what I got to look forward to once uh, uh, I'm, I'm starting the process now for all of these things. But, you know, being in a position where you could take that time off to fully focus on this, that's that's the next step for me. Yeah, no, that's yeah. really fantastic. Gosh, Brad, this has been such an amazing conversation. Uh, what I appreciate the most is your candor and your willingness to be vulnerable. I think that's... Uh, you know, uh, that's going to resonate with the audience so much. They they like to have authenticity and you were just so genuine about what you went through and, and you assumed responsibility for your role in it. Whereas, you know, we've interacted with so many people who always like to blame others, but um, you have such a mature way of, of grappling with it. And so that's what leads me to believe that you're, you're going to be very successful in, in, in managing that. Yeah, I appreciate it. The next time we talk, I'll probably have more gray hair, maybe some bald patches, but hey, here we go. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a part of the process. Um, you haven't commented on mine. Um, so uh, yeah, but uh, it'll it'll shift at some point. We have to just be ready for it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Circle uh, of life I, and all that. <laughs> absolutely. One good thing I have going for me is uh, I'm an active CrossFitter. So you know, oh, so staying fit has been, it's been, uh, I think it's helped, helped me quite a bit. Really this journey. Yeah. yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, Brad, thank you again. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Until next time.